So, uh, so if you're watching online, you don't know me. My name is Alex Culpepper. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Our normal, normal pattern on Sunday morning is to open up the Bible together to, to dig into it a little bit. If you're here in person, you don't have a Bible with you, we did print the passage today inside of the bulletin that you should have received when you came in the door. So, uh, so back in August, we went through a series called Discernment. Talked about how discernment is a tool of the Christian life. It is a tool placed in our hands by the Holy Spirit in order that we might test things by the Word of God and make decisions uh, about our life and about how we move forward and about what we are to do, that we would make decisions based on the test that we apply. So this is how we defined discernment back in August. We said that discernment tests and determines what is going on under the surface. So at the end of that series, we considered the call of Scripture that has on us, the call that Scripture calls us to, uh, to test the spirits, right? Recognizing that demonic spirits are at work in events and through people and that those spirits have a pretty specific agenda, right? And so this is what we talked about. We said in that sermon, we said there are three personalities, three spirits, if you will, at work in the world. There is God, the Holy Spirit, he is at work in the world. There is the spirit of the flesh, right? The human spirit, right? What we bring into us, what is fallen, what is broken by sin. And then there are also demonic spirits at work in the world. And, and so we ask questions, okay, well, how do we discern the differences between these things? And the key phrase that we said is this, you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. So what is their agenda? What is their fruit? Well, uh, John 10.10 10 says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That is the fruit of demonic spirits. Stealing, killing, and destroying. We might, in fact, say it like this. That the fruit of demonic spirits is destruction of God's image bearers. So here's something else that's also true along with that. The Bible, as it teaches about the influence of evil in the world, seems to indicate, you remember uh, Pastor Don a couple of weeks ago, he came up here and he talked about time getting full again. Right, that, uh, that we at Christmas time we talk about how time was full when Jesus came. And now we're, uh, Pastor Don says, yes, like time is getting full again. We're recognizing time advancing to the coming of Jesus. As the return of Jesus draws near, what seems to happen is that the hold of evil powers on the world becomes increasingly prevalent in various ways. And we, as God's people, are called to be vigilant be watchful. So first Peter, uh, Peter, he picks up this principle and this is what he says. He says to us in first Peter 5, 8, be sober minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So you need to resist him firm in your faith. To this end, part of my job is to give us tools to discern with watchfulness. And that's why today we are starting a new series called Demonic Schemes. Um, this is a seven-week series, and it is built to give us kind of the grounding 
to discern the work of the forces of evil so that we can expose those works, so that we can resist the unfruitful works of darkness, so that we can know how we ought to be praying, so that we can know the kinds of solutions that we ought to be seeking, and so that we can understand whose power is actually needed to carry out the mission that has been given to us by God. So today and next week, we are specifically looking at the things that demons teach. Right, so this week, we are looking at demon philosophies or strong, what we would call strong demonic delusions. Right? These are the beliefs and ways of thinking and ways of life that they produce out in the world. So to make a distinction, we're, uh, we're distinguishing in things that demons teach. Demons have, have specific things that they are seeking to teach to the world. Also, next week, we're going to be looking at the things that demons want to teach to people in the church. Right? They have agendas for both of them. They have ways that they're seeking to lead people astray in both categories. So with that being said, let's get into it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. Verse 11 says, Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Verse 12, In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is a, he was a leader in the church. He planted many churches. He wrote a significant portion of the New Testament. Most of the verses and quotes that you hear from the New Testament come from things that the Apostle Paul wrote. And uh, he is writing to a church in northern Greece about 15 to 20 years after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he is writing to this church to help them discern the things that they are witnessing around them. Because they're looking at people and, and the ways that people are acting towards the things that they believe, the ways that people are acting in general in the world, the kind of practices that they carry out. And they're like, man, these people are crazy, right? Like there is something wrong with this world that we live in. And they're trying to discern what's happening and they're wondering, does this mean that, like, Jesus is coming? Does this mean that his return is near? And so, so what he's doing is he's trying to help them understand these things. And right here in this space, he's specifically writing about people out in the world, people who have refused to love the truth about Jesus. That's what it says immediately in the verse prior. These are the people who have refused to love the truth about Jesus. And if you read just a little bit further back than that, it says these are people who are subject to the power of the lies of Satan. That Satan himself is actually lying, and, and because of these lies, this, this strong delusion comes into the world. So I want you to read this like this. When it says God sends them a strong delusion, what that's telling us is that God gives them more of what they were already seeking. Right? Because they made a decision. They refused to love the truth. They refused to believe the truth when they were face to face with it. And so he says God gives them more of what they were already seeking. This is, by the way, a part of God's judgment. When we talk about God's wrath on the world, part of it is that the world says to God, Hey God, you know what? We prefer lies instead of the truth. And God says, okay, have the fullness of what you're looking for. And the implication is that the lies of the evil one, the lies of the power of evil, are what's behind 
the strong delusion. They are the falsehood that the unbelieving world so easily grabs onto. So God has given these spiritual powers free reign to propagate their lies because the world has decided that it prefers lies to the truth. So today we're going to explicitly call out those lies. Like the lies and schemes, for what it's worth, they are lies and schemes that are as old as history, but they take different forms at different times. So we're going to kind of look at what are the big picture lies that the enemy is trying to tell, but they've always been aimed at some specific thing. So our main point this morning is this. Satan's lies distort and destroy things God made for thriving. Like that is what they do. They distort and destroy things that God made for thriving. When they're at work in the world, right? Like Satan doesn't have to lead anybody away from belief in the world. They already don't believe. So he is now at work doing the most damage that he can. And he does that damage by distorting and destroying things that God made for thriving. This is really, at the end of the day, for what it's worth, Satan's war on God. Right? Satan and really all of the dark spiritual powers, what they want to do is they want to cause God as much pain as they possibly can. And so they seek to destroy his image bearers. And they seek to destroy the covenant that God makes with his image bearers. And as a result, they are literally hell-bent on making mockeries of the things that God calls good. So, this morning, we're going to look at five big lies that demons use to keep the world under their sway. And they are attacks against five things. They're attacks against image and identity. They're attacks against children. They're attacks against families. They're attacks against authority. And they are attacks against eternities. So, there are five demon delusions at work in the world. The first one that we're looking at is this. This is the lie. Image and identity are ours to shape as we please. Meaning we can choose the identity that we want. We can choose the image that we want to be, right? This is contrary to the idea, by the way, that God made them in his image, in his own image God made them, right? This is contrary to the idea that we actually gain our identity from our identification with God. So demons have told uh, lies throughout the ages that, that to, to human beings that God's image does not matter, that God's intent in creation does not matter, that what matters is that we can shape things as we please according to our ideas. What matters is that we can somehow attain a level of knowledge or awareness or some kind of idea of what we think we really want. And then we can take the thing that we we think we really want, the ideal that we have in mind, and we will say that ideal that we have thought up in our head, we actually think that that's better than God's idea in creation. right? Because God expresses, to a certain degree, God expresses some of his intention with the physical things that he creates, right? Like physicality, the world, the material world shows us something, reveals to us something of God's intention, but, but uh, demons lie to us and says, you know what? In your mind, you can probably come up with something better than what God made. So, um, you know, God made us with physical bodies in his image. God made us male and female. God said it is very good, 
right? It is very good. Like this is the, the most good that he could come up with. And the lie is that through our knowing and our desires, we can make something better. So now this lie, for what it's worth, has taken many different forms throughout history. In the time of Jesus, this was something called Gnosticism. Right now, I'm not going to explain Gnosticism to you this morning, but what you need to know is that there was a very specific way of thinking in the time of Jesus that said, what we can come up with in our mind is better than this physical world. Right? Today, the modern scheme is this. The modern scheme is hyper individualism. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there are a couple of quotes that represent this perspective of hyper-individualism. I am whatever I feel I am, right? Or what's important is that I'm happy. The lie is that you can trust your desires to lead you to a version of truth beyond the boundaries of this physical world. And then once you dream it, you can do it, right? You can live your truth. You, whatever you come up with, you have the ability to do that. So, I mean, as examples, right? If you don't like being a male, you can do harm to what God has called good to your physical body and you can become what you would call a female. If you don't like being a female, you can do harm to your physical body, and you can become what you might call a male. You can, uh, if you don't like the way that you look, you can engage in an eating disorder and do harm to your physical body and make your body a better version of what you would call ideal. If you despise your existence in this world, you know what you can do today? you can create a digital avatar and you can go build the life that you want to build in the metaverse, right? And you think I'm joking, but there are people who legitimately live their lives like this. And the whole time, the demons celebrate when decisions like these are being made because they watch humanity boldly declaring through their actions the image of God God's creation is not good enough. We can come up with something better. So that's the first lie. The second lie is this. Children are a means to an end. Children are to us a symbol of innocence. And in a very uh, kind of insidious way, demons want to find whatever way they can to abuse children and to destroy children and to corrupt children for their purposes because by warping children, they feel like they have done particular damage to the image of God. So in the ancient world, we talked about this a lot when we went through Leviticus, right? You have the Molech cult, right? The, the, the people who sacrificed their babies in order to gain uh, some sense of protection for their community or to receive power or to thrive in this world. And, and it has been a demonic scheme throughout history. Child sacrifice did not just happen in Canaan. It happened throughout the world. It was a common practice. They said, if you sacrifice your child, then you will get these benefits. That's the lie that they told people. And, and so they believed that the success of their tribes and their nations was built on the death of children. This is still happening. right? The modern scheme is this, to make abortion a basic human right. right? That's our context, right? Our time today, like this is the scheme, right? To be clear, abortion is the intentional ending of human life. 
right? Or murder. So we live in a time, though, in which it is insisted that regardless of whatever you might think abortion is, the, the first and foremost thing about abortion is that it's about uh, women's rights. Like, that's what we're talking about. Right? And so, by kind of warping it in this way, because women's rights matter, right? And we should care about women's rights. Right? That's an important thing to care about. So by warping it this way and combining a little bit of truth with a, a devious lie, what happens is that you end up in a situation where abortions are regularly performed. Hundreds of millions of babies have now been killed for, not in every case, but in many cases, in the name of the avoidance of economic hardship, right? The fear of the disruption that this will cause in my life, the avoiding of life change and the responsibility that comes with parenthood or the ability to pursue personal success and achievement, right? And I'm not just saying that that is the, the woman's decision that's doing that. Sometimes women, many times, women are coerced by men who don't want to accept that responsibility, right? So to, so, so along these lines, murder is then permitted for any reason or no reason at all. Right? And it finds its origin in the demonic lie that children are not precious images of God to be honored and to be cared for and to be uplifted who have dignity in and of themselves, but they are a means to an end. And when they get in our way, we can remove them. The third lie that demons tell. Families do more harm than good. So, uh, for what it's worth, each of these delusions draws its strength in part because there is a, a kernel of truth that can be found in each of them. Right, so, so the way that Satan starts spreading this lie is not by first attacking from the outside, but by disintegrating from the inside. Right, so this lie is believable because it originates in truth, right? Because family members often harm each other, right? There are abusive husbands, and there are manipulative parents, and there are selfish siblings, right? Think back to the very first murder. Two brothers, right? It's not just random humans out there killing each other, competing for space. Yeah, two brothers who grew up with each other, and one of them kills the other one. So, by pointing at the harm that is caused within families, demons will say, see, families can't be trusted to be the building blocks of society. See, you know what strong families do? Strong families create stronger opportunity for harm. See, we don't need to take marriage seriously. See, your family is really keeping you from happiness and fulfillment. See, we can create something better than families in order to be able to form and shape kids. And so the modern scheme, the way that this looks in today's day and age is, is this. Number one, to diminish the significance of marriage. Right, so, so that we don't take marriage, because marriage is the foundation of a family, right? It is the core of a family. A, a, a family draws its strength from the strength of the marriage that is at the center of that family. 
So if we can diminish the significance of marriage by uh, corrupting the roles of men and women and the, the kind of making men feel like they're not men and making women feel like they can't be women, but also if we can diminish the strength of the marriage by kind of just saying, ah, divorce is not a big deal, you know, then we are able to weaken families. And then the second thing, that the second scheme today is to create distance between kids and parents, right? And this happens through media. And I mean, for what it's worth, through rebellion. Rebellion is a part of the way that distance is created between kids and parents. This happens if you're not vigilant. It can happen through education. It also happens through distracted parents, right? Technology has a significant piece to do with it. So, so right now, in the, in the day and age that we live in, technology is having a stronger discipleship force on the lives of kids than, uh, than the parents themselves are having on those kids. And for what it's worth, technology is probably having a pretty intense discipleship force on the lives of parents. So uh, that is the modern scheme of undoing families. The fourth lie that demons tell is that Authority is oppressive and should be cast off. So in the garden, the serpent told Eve, God told you not to eat from the tree because God knows that you will be like him. And by saying that, the serpent encouraged Eve to think that the one who has authority over you cannot be trusted. He is keeping something from you, and the only way that you can be free is if you cast him off. So uh, uh, to illustrate this principle, um, Absalom. Absalom was the son of King David, and King David, uh, he kind of ended up in a situation where he was unknowingly fooled into arranging the abuse of his daughter, Tamar. Right, so that, that thing happened, and, and that happened by the hand of one of his other sons, uh, whose name was Amnon. And though God had not taken the throne from David, because this was a failure on David's part, like let's admit that, David dropped the ball. Right? David didn't do his job. He failed in his regard on this. But God had not taken the throne from David for his failure. But Absalom, because of his father's failure, because Absalom loved his daughter Tamar, or his uh, his brother, her sister Tamar, and uh, and so Absalom was trying to like advocate for her and, and take like take care of her and make sure that her rights were uh, being regarded. And so, uh, because of David's failure, Absalom thought that his father's authority should be brought to nothing. Look at your failure; you should not be an authority. So you know what Absalom did. He stood outside the gates, listening to the people. He said, as the people came with their complaints to King David, right? They came to the gates and, and Absalom would be standing out there and say, hey, look, the gates are closed. The king doesn't have time for you, but I'll listen to you. I can hear your concerns. Right? I'll, I'll, I'll hear what you have to say. And by listening to people who sensed that they were disenfranchised, these dissatisfied Israelites were amassed together by Absalom to create a rebellion against King David. 
And so uh, this is just a pattern that has happened throughout history. And of course, demons use the failure of authorities to encourage people to say, see, do we really even need authority after all? And so uh, the modern scheme, the modern scheme, that this, the form that this takes is, is using words like victimhood and depression as a framework to evaluate every scenario. Now, before I get too far, I do want to be very clear. There are victims in this world who have been victimized in significant ways by authorities who have mismanaged their authority. But again, remember, Satan takes a kernel of truth and uses that truth to twist it and turn it into a lie. And so what does this result in? Well, right now there is a cultural movement around these words of victimhood and oppression, and it started in higher education and it is now well established in our culture, and what it does is it takes most aspects of life and reframes all of life, reframes all of life through the lens of power dynamics so that you can always, in every situation, find a victim and a victimizer. And then, when you can find and pinpoint those places, it seeks to subvert those power dynamics by removing power from those who have been called the victimizer and giving the power to those who are called the victim. So let's be clear. Where there is a true victim, the body of Christ has responsibility to act justly and love mercy. Right? That is 100% true. But what often happens as a result of what is happening in our culture is that legitimate authority gets resisted when it can be framed as oppressive. And then what happens is that actual constructive solutions for those who are disenfranchised, they get abandoned because the solution becomes for those people resist and usurp illegitimate authority. So, uh, so an illustration of this. This takes place to the extent that truth itself. Truth, by the way, is a kind of authority, right? If you can say that something is true, then, then, then the, the existence of that truth is a kind of authority. In this framework, truth itself can be rejected if it doesn't acknowledge the right categories of victim and oppressor. Okay, so don't forget the why. Don't forget the why. Why does this dynamic take place? Because throughout history, authorities have actually abused their authority. And and by the way, authorities have used their authority to resist authority. They have used their power to resist truth or to change truth, right? And so what's happening is that this kind of uh, the changing of what is true and the changing of authority and the rejecting of authority is getting tossed back and forth throughout culture. But, but the existing result is that this, this kind of framework drives cultures toward the lie that the solution is to oppress the oppressors. Right, to create civil unrest, to apply unequal weights and measures. But what is actually built on is repaying injustice for injustice. Because you know what? The only answer that demons have for injustice is more injustice. That's the only answer that they have. Okay, the last lie. The last lie, lie number five. An eternity apart from God is better than one with him. So um, it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.12, it reminds us about these people who are under the strong delusion. It says they did not believe the truth, but had pleasure 
in unrighteousness. So God created us for eternity with him and throughout history. Uh, God, uh, God has given people an opportunity to be reconciled to him. Right? He presents people with the opportunity. And in Canaan, the response to God's opportunity to be reconciled, the response to his holiness coming into that land was, uh, no thanks, we like our gods better than your God. Right? Because our gods permit us to have pleasure in unrighteousness. And we kind of like our unrighteousness. And for the Pharisees, it was, no thanks. We like our religious traditions better than what you're calling life with God, Jesus. So those, those are certain schemes. The modern scheme today is this, and this is the scheme that I think finds a lot of hold in our culture. The modern scheme is that the lie that good people go to heaven. Right? I, you know, I like my truth. I like to think that most of my friends and most of my family will go to heaven. And I like that truth more than I like your truth, that there is one God in heaven to whom all people are accountable and in whom I must believe to receive eternal life. My truth is preferable to your truth, so I'm going to hold on to my truth. My truth gives me a lot more permission to do what I want to do than your truth. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep being a mostly good person and believe that my mostly goodness is going to be enough to satisfy God. And if it's not, by the way, that's not really a God that I want to spend eternity with anyway. And so demons lead people astray through the belief that better is one day elsewhere than a thousand days with God. Okay, so this is what we need to do. We need to understand that all of these lies work together in tandem to create this kind of strong delusion that Paul is talking about. But I, I just want to ask the question, what is the result of the delusion? Like, why is the delusion there? So this is what we're going to do. We're actually going to back up and work kind of pretty quickly through the passage as it remains. So uh, 2 Thessalonians, we're going to go all the way back to verse 1. And I just want you to see what the purpose of this delusion is. So uh, verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, verse 2, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So Paul is saying, you'll know that Christ's coming is very close when you see a massive rebellion and lawlessness. A time, a period of time when there is a clear rebellion. And, and in the midst of that rebellion, there will be a clear person identified with lawlessness who comes on the scene. So read further with me about this person. And verse 4, this is what this man of lawlessness does. He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. 
So there will be a person, what Paul is saying is there's going to be a person who comes on the scene and he will tell the lie that overcomes all other lies, like the best lie that anybody has ever heard. And, and what Paul is saying is that like even those false gods, he's going to challenge those false gods as well. He's going to call, challenge anything that calls itself a god. And when he goes into this place, he is going to say, hey, by the way, I am the real god. Now that's crazy, right? It's nuts. It's nuts that he could go in there and say that. But let's talk about uh, something even crazier. So, so the, this is the lie that is directly opposed to God in heaven. It goes on in verses 6 and 7 and says this, And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Uh, he, Paul's kind of saying the, the groundwork is laid, or it's being laid, right? But God... God's restraining him, right? God's, God's kind of put the restraints on for this time. God is restraining evil in the world because of his grace and mercy, because of his patience that uh, others may come to love the truth. But one day, God is going to take the restraints off. And so verses 9 and 10 say this. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, in verse 10, and with all wicked deception, for those who are perishing. So Paul makes it clear what's under the surface. All of the lies that we talked about, all of the delusion that we talked about, what's under the surface is the work of Satan, right? And so what he's saying is that this person is going to come along and he is going to tell a lie. He is, in fact, going to tell the lie that he is God, to be lifted up above all other gods. And so because behind his power are, are the lies that Satan has been telling throughout history, uh, they are now subject to the power of this deception. So verse 10, it goes on and says, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Here our translations do us a disservice, okay? Um, literally what it should say where it says what is false, it should say the lie, right? Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe the lie, a very specific lie. Well, what is the lie? Well, it refers us back to the lie that the man of lawlessness tells when he says, hey, I'm God, worship me above all other gods. So remember, we said it's crazy that a guy would go into a place and say, hey, I'm God, worship me, right? That's not so. He's saying people are going to believe the lie. And the reason that they're going to believe it is that right now they are being shaped and formed by a strong delusion that has been sent in the world. Everything that we talked about this morning is laying the groundwork for a people in the world who will accept the lie of a man who comes in and says, I am God, worship me. So, uh, G.K. Chesterton said this. When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. So let me just tell you, if you are here this morning and you do not believe in Jesus Christ, I want to just tell you the most amazing truth 
like the most lovable truth that has ever existed. There is a God who loves you and who wants to be reconciled with you so much that he sent his son from heaven to earth who lived a perfect life, who in living his perfect life decided that he would die for our sakes, that he would take on himself the punishment for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could have relationship with God, so that we could know what it is to have an eternity that is promised to us, and so that we could know the one who, who knit us together in our mother's wombs. So if you have not trusted in Jesus, I would encourage you, don't let another day pass without trusting in him because that he is the truth. So what? So what? Number one, I want to tell us, do not be surprised when non-Christians come under the spell of delusions. The main reason that Paul wrote these words down was to help Christians of his day understand the times that they were in and understand the natures of the delusions that were occurring around them. And the whole point of me saying this is to say to you, goodness, be gracious. Right? Like, it's the power of the forces of evil that have created these things. Right? Like, it's, it's the, like, yes, there is human will involved in the belief of these lies, but the lies are powerful too. Like, have patience with the people who are grabbing onto these things. Right? They're trapped. By the way, you were trapped too at one point. Like, such were some of you. This was the circumstance of your life until Jesus showed up and the Holy Spirit came and he fell and you were like, I finally see it. So be gracious. Have patience with those in your spheres of influence who are given over to lies. And then know that the only power that can release people from the lies is the power of the gospel. It's the truth about who Jesus is and what he came to do. So that's so what number one. So what number two is this? Christian, take heart. Jesus is coming to destroy the power of the delusion. We skipped over a verse, and I want us to read that verse together now. Verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. One of the best messages of Scripture is that things will not be like this forever. Right. Righteousness will prevail. Truth will no longer be subject to the popular narrative. Right? The lies that empower the brokenness and the rebellion of this world. When Jesus comes back, they will not stand up to him. In fact, Jesus is going to open his mouth one time and he'll bring it to nothing. Right? Lawlessness gets undone. Justice will roll like a river. Mercy will be known to the ends of the earth and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, would you pray with me, please? 
Lord, our confidence is in you this morning. In fact, we recognize that, that even the reality that we have been set free from lies has happened because you have intervened as a result of the power of your gospel and the power of your Holy Spirit to set us free. And so we say thank you for our freedom. But Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you would also just press upon us the dire state of our friends and our neighbors and our acquaintances and our coworkers, Lord, that you would, that you would not permit us to just be okay with the fact that there are people trapped in by lies, but that you would enable us to seek to do something about it. Lord, that you would give us a sense of urgency in holding and, and carrying the gospel to our neighbors. That you would give us a sense of urgency in building relationships with those we don't yet know so that we might discover their situation so that we could have a chance to extend hope to them. Lord Jesus, you are powerful. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your glory that will one day be revealed to us with clarity. And until that time, Holy Spirit, would you enable us to stand putting on the armor that you have given us. Being strengthened by your spirit and by your word and by prayer so that we might resist the enemy who prowls about like a roaring lion. We pray this in Jesus' name.